Sweet. What's up, Mike? What up? Okay, so I do want to talk about uh, musculoskeletal evolution in the human body and why that's important. But I also want to catch up on how things are going. Okay. With our training and whatnot, because we were talking about it last time. And I'm curious because we talked about it and then we then we talked um, offline about it. online, but off the podcast. There you go. Yeah. Well, and- first off, first off, I'm super excited about today's subject. Uh, and, and so I hope we have some good nuggets because I think it's some fun things to think about. And it re- relates to our training every day uh, and, and especially people who work and and who also want to work out all the time. Um, yeah, it sounds it sounds very uh, scary, or I don't know about scary, but very in depth. And we're gonna kind of go in depth a little bit about it because I think it's really interesting, or at least it's interesting to me. So we'll see if it's interesting to other people. Yeah, Mike's gonna go in depth factually, and I'm gonna put some crazy theories out there. Yeah, sweet. All right, all right. So, well, my personal fit quest. All right. So last week I talked a little bit about it. Uh, how I was I was in a week of. Uh, my practice week in between uh, programs. And this is my first practice week that I'm going to completely cancel my, uh, my program. And I, I rewrote it. I rewrote a new program. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I hated it and I, I kind of <laughs> messed up my shoulder a little bit. Uh, and then you gave me some advice. So on the last episode of the podcast, we were talking about my, uh, my foot, my ankle and like, kind of like my calf area and and you gave some recommendations well, your, on, hip. your hip is what made me think of it okay int- yeah exactly uh yeah. and so you gave me some recommendations uh to do uh, two exercises uh and then i was trying to figure out like where to put it and so i just scratched my whole entire program and another yeah. program uh this week that i'm kind of i'm pretty excited to go but i'm taking a few days off from training um, I've taken like three days. I actually went for a jog this morning. Um, and it's funny because it's my shoulder, but I've been avoiding everything because literally like just like that, the jog motion of yeah. moving my arm was hurting. Uh, but I feel really good right now, like as as I sit here talking. Um, so I'm excited. I'm going to start on Monday, probably do some stretching and stuff until Monday and then start my new program Monday. Sweet. Sweet. Well, I know you were in like the explorative phase last time, which yes. is why we're talking about it so much, and which is also why I want to talk about this topic today a lot. I've been doing, uh, speaking of shoulder health, have you looked into the flow rope or anything like that? I feel like an evangelist right now for the flow ropes. No, but I want to know. That sounds awesome. What's a flow rope? Okay, so it, like the rope I'm using right now is I think a quarter inch thick um, climbing rope. Okay. Like a top rope climbing rope. I think I got a hundred feet of it and I've been cutting it into flow ropes. But I think WEC method is the business that has popularized it the most. Okay. And I believe a lot of people attribute the flow rope to WEC method, I would say. Which you've seen some WEC method stuff, I'm pretty sure. I think I have. Yeah. And I'm looking at the flow rope now and it's exactly what you described. It kind of looks like a, like a climbing rope and then it has a knot at the end and then you can get them with handles and whatnot too. Yeah. The handles are just the uh, rope with a little nub at the end of it. So it's not like a frayed rope or anything like that or some, or some tape 
basically wrapped around the rope at the end of it. You don't really need like fancy handles, honestly. Right. And there's a lot of different trainers and groups now that are going further in depth with it. Okay. And Method was kind of using it as a, and I think they're still using it as a pattern trainer in terms of getting you to switch your head and your balance over your feet as you move in a gait pattern. Okay. And to help with shoulder mobility in um, like rolling and running type patterns, which is what made me think of it just now when you were talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. That would make total sense. My shoulders and my running pattern have felt really good lately. And I haven't been training them in my traditional ways that much. I've been doing my normal things where like when we're talking on our podcast, people can't see it, but I'll have the band and everything. And I'll do like over and back shoulder dislocations. Cause you reminded me of this a lot. Cause this is one of your favorites. And yep. then I've been trying to do it a little bit more. And I'm trying to ch- stretch my chest out more. Cause I noticed my chest is getting tighter. Yeah. Um, but the doing more rope stuff, it feels a lot like a combination of almost like baton or or staff mm-hmm. kind of twirling mixed with mace and club work that I've been doing. Okay. The sound it feels like an in-between of those two, and you use similar skills for them too. And I love when I'm using similar skills or skills carry over to other disciplines. Right. Because then it makes it feel like I'm closer to building really good fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And, and the the rope really feels like that. But for your case, like getting that getting that side to side movement pattern and that flow with the body and getting that shoulder um, rotation. Plus, it's really just I really like it just because it's fun. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. So you'll, that's why people see me doing it a lot lately, I would say. Me, so as a, me as a golfer, uh, that sounds awesome because it, it sounds like it's a good co- for performance. It's a good contrast because you have uh, like the lighter rope, and then you could even add in like the mace to that. Or, or, or there's heavier ropes too. There's thicker, heavier ropes too, and there's different sizes. Oh, so the people who have gone nuts with it um, in terms of changing the sizes and the ways of the different types of rope. Whereas Weck Method kind of has this one general like mid-range mid-weight rope yeah which makes sense because he was trying to get it just out to people and make it simple yeah and he succeeded because now there's a whole bunch of little branches and whatnot and there's even a golf branch actually and there's a golf um there's this uh sports performance guy i really like this doctor i really like who has been using the flow ropes to help with his golf swing. Okay. I just saw a video of it. I'm surprised I didn't even send it to you. I, I forget that you play golf sometimes. That's right. We need to go play some golf. We were talking about that. We need to go to the driving range. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been going all the time. I went. I took my son uh, yesterday, actually. Do you think that messes with your shoulder much? <laughs> the The golf? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure it can. Yeah. Do you feel like it makes you like tighter on that chest side? Like that um, you know, actually, I felt pretty good after the driving range yesterday. 
golf, yeah. like, golf is this weird for me has always been this weird cure almost. Um, yeah. Because it just, just after I swing, I feel really good. So when uh, actually my tightness, I was going to say, cause you, you said you wanted to stretch out your test, uh, your chest. I used, we, we got one of those massagers, those pinpoint massagers. Uh, oh massagers, yeah. And yeah. I put that. So I say my left shoulder was hurt. I hurt my left shoulder, but I stuck that into my chest for like yeah. three, three minutes and did a couple of mobility motions after that. And man, my, my quote unquote shoulder, which was my pain was in the back left of my shoulder, uh, doing that to my chest. Cause I kind of had a, a feeling my chest was pretty tight. Uh, right. and after I did that, man, it ha- I had a ton of release. Yeah. Um, and so I did that before going to the driving range too. And, and by the time I got home from the driving range, I mean, I had almost zero pain in my left shoulder. Yeah, it's funny because I find a lot of like shoulder issues I have and a lot of people, I think that's just an area that tends to get tight in people, you yeah. know, is that and it's really that upper corner of the chest towards the shoulder, you know, like where the shoulder and the chest juncture is. Yeah. Well, and, then it, and then it can refer to the other side of your back, like agonist, antagonist yeah. ways, I would say. And there's a million little muscles in your, in your shoulder, not a million. There's a ton of little muscles in your shoulder. Right. And this, Mm. I have a, this is kind of goes into my theory about the evolution. And I know you kind of want to talk about the shoulder. We don't have to go into it now unless you want to. I'm game. Is there anything else you want to talk about? About Uh, this morning? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that that's it. I did. I want, I wanted to make sure I pointed out that chest thing because I just wanted to like, everyone needs to know that a lot of times pain the muscular pain doesn't happen exactly where where the pain is uh, the usually, problem is, right 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 the the, pro, the pain isn't usually where the problem problem is yeah rarely the pain is where like you should get rid of that pain or try to you should address that pain i should say you know and and by like trying to figure out where is that pain being referred from you know where I think of it like a river analogy a lot. Like, is it up river or down river? Yeah. You know, yeah, so like if, if you have some kind of pollution problem down river, for example, when you're trying to look at the health of a, of a water system, mm-hmm. you don't just clean up where the pollution is. You got to travel up river and see where things are getting eroded or, or dumped in there, basically, or where things are really beating it up upstream a lot of right. times. And for you, up downstream, you had to look basically because you had the pain on the other side of your upper body, and yeah. you had to look downstream, or maybe you could call it upstream. And, and <laughs> remember, you get the point, though. Yeah, exactly. And remember, part of my program was doing a ton of push-ups every day, right? And, and my chest was feeling great. But man, yeah. but I knew I was like, man, I'm super tight. I guarantee you, if you if I just massage this out, it'll work, and it did. And so, yep. so yep. that was a good feeling. That's that's a good point with like paying attention to what you've been doing in your program, and then how your body's feeling. Yeah, after. we're both doing a bunch of ch- uh, upper chest uh, stretching and mo- mobilizing right now because I'm doing the same thing, actually. Because I yeah. started adding pushups back into my program too, <laughs> and I'm like, ah. It feels so tight. And now I'm like grabbing my boobs 
basically randomly throughout the day and pushing into it. Well, it's like, cause every, every pushing movement we do, it's fighting what we, our society and what we now we are doing so much now. Like we're in, we're in front of the computer so much and we're sitting down so much that mm-hmm. when we do these chess moves, it's like, you do feel so tight because it's messing up your posture and all mm-hmm. that. And you're like, wait, I, I need to stretch out my chest now so I can sit up straight so that all mm-hmm. these other little muscles are kind of working together and making me feel better. This is why National Bench Press Day is probably doing more harm than good, honestly, a.k.a. Monday at your local commercial gym <laughs> where everybody's fighting over getting the, the bench press. Exactly. And we've talked about this before, too. That's why you try and stay at a, a maybe a one to two or one to three ratio of pulling to pushing exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Get, a little, get a little pull push PSA. In. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the reason for that. Here we go into musculoskeletal musculoskeletal evolution is is really interesting to me and I and this is actually one of the things I was talking to a client about recently but I talk about it all the time which is why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast and I let, I really find it useful to know why we have the structure that we have you know like why are human beings structured this way from an evolutionary perspective and the shoulder joint. I don't think a lot of people really get how the shoulder joint and the clavicles and the scapula all work together to create movement in your upper body and, and where, where a lot of that evolution came from. So if you look, if you look back in our evolutionary tree and you look back at the great apes and you look at how the great apes moved and what their physical requirements were, you can get a little better, a little bit more clear view of why our structure is that way. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to think of it is just think of like climbing tree dwelling apes, for example, that's where a lot of that structure comes from. Mm -hmm. It's being able to reach overhead, climb, go from limb to limb, hang, all these overhead pull type of positions. And then before that, we had the knuckle walk, knuckle walking position. Mm-hmm. Basically, Actually, during that time, you have that knuckle walking position, basically. So you're climbing and you're knuckle walking. Right. And that's that's our upper body skeletal structure. The most amount of years evolutionarily we've had on our upper body skeletal structure before we've been. And that's when we were a different species. It sounds weird saying that too, you know, so you got to look back previous species of hominids until they got to the point where they were upright. Right. Right. Exactly. And we'll get into that too. But if you think about it that way, when you think about your shoulder structure, that's why I think of hanging and pulling to be so important for us because our shoulder structure in a way craves those positions. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't get those positions, it's not going to get the feedback it needs to have a balanced musculoskeletal development. Mm -hmm. And that goes into a lot of recommendations we have nowadays right right but 
those recommendations are kind of blurred by pop fitness. And so I'm trying to get that pop fitness blur out of there as much as possible. And just think, what does your, what does your skeleton crave? What does your structure crave? You know, and how close are you to that? And how do you give it a little bit of that? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, I I like what you're trying to do and I'm interested in what you're trying to do because, you know, we've been walking, I think it's almost for 7 million years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've only been homo sapiens. I have this number in front of me too, uh, for only 300, for 300,000 years. Right. So, so in 300,000, so we've, we've been human, modern humans for 300,000 years. Right. right. Which is crazy to me. So how long, like how long does the next adaptation take? And yeah. what, so, so what you're talking, I want you to go into where you were going. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's a good, that's a good uh thing to keep on top of mind too yeah and how long does it take for these changes to happen you know Uh, millions of years usually you know and they don't just this is a really interesting thing because species are identified by their by their differences with with other common species in that genus or that family that part of the animal evolutionary tree basically you know like you could if you look far enough back you can trace us to single cell uh amoebas i guess you know (laughs) but each of those evolutionary changes along the the family tree so to speak we we keep a little bit of that Mm -hmm. you know like you go from single cell to multiple multiple cell organism you know um, when you're in the family of mammals, like we all have these traits that mammals have, you know, but not all the mammals are similar in terms of like, I look a lot different than a kangaroo, you know, and I function a lot different than a kangaroo. So there's not a lot of similarities, but there are some similarities. And then we get closer and we get closer and we get closer and we get to like great apes, for example. Yeah. And you can still observe. The cool thing is we can still observe ancestors ancestry i don't know if ancestry is the right word honestly in this in this matter but we can still observe animals that share a common ancestor i guess right and then when you look at that you think what's the difference and then how long has it been to get us to that point and so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out a couple of things and then we can break them down so one of them is one we just talked about right so one of them's the upper body, that shoulder blade structure, why we have that shoulder structure the way we have it. And a lot of that has to do with climbing and hanging from trees that we got from our great ape common ancestors. And you still see in our common ancestors nowadays. Right. One of the things you don't see as much, which you were alluding to, was the the bipedalism that we see in humans that we don't see in the great apes as much. We see it a little bit, but we don't see it in terms of their main form of locomotion, mm-hmm. right? So we had to evolve to be bipedal. And there's a lot of really cool reasons why that was. Um, and, and a lot of it's it's all theory that's been backed up better in some places and not so good in other places. Right. But one of the, one of the leading theories for bipedalism is... 
our ability to look around and carry things mm-hmm. while we walk versus if you've ever if you've ever injured your uh hands or anything like that and notice how annoying it is to actually walk around and hold something at the same time yeah for example you know or um jazz right now with her ankle injury or when we've had ankle injuries and you get hurt and you notice how hard it is when you're using crutches for example to actually carry anything when you're walking around like carrying something when you're walking around is a huge deal okay yeah helps with that a lot yeah and some apes do that and they'll they'll carry things around but it's a lot harder for obvious reasons right so what happens because of that though you know so what happens because of those evolutionary changes what happens in our structure because of those evolutionary changes well when it comes to bipedalism it means that we actually have to get a much larger glute muscle muscular structure mm-hmm to get ourselves upright and if you like if you squeeze your butt when you're standing you're going to notice how that pulls you upright right and straightens you out right and it's it's really interesting and and it almost seems like we're going in that opposite direction which we talked about in our what, what was the name of that one what was the name of that podcast was it the the about the c-shape of the body was it the know thyself podcast I don't know if it was, I don't think it was know thyself. I think it was before know thyself that we talked about how the body gets shaped by the environment. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what it was called. Was that what it was called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to hear about like how the body gets shaped by the environment, it seems like we're getting shaped by our environment in a way that's very much counter to our evolutionary history right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder, like, are we going to change millions of years from now? You know, do you ever hear that? Do you ever hear that theory about how some people think that aliens are us from the future? Yes. Yeah. Which that kind of makes a little bit of sense, right? It kind of makes sense just from a musculoskeletal perspective. All the other theories, I'm not so sure. (laughs) But from like a musculoskeletal perspective, it kind of makes sense. You know, like we're going to get thinner our heads are gonna get bigger we're not gonna we're not gonna have the uh need for our muscles as much basically and we're gonna be we're gonna be i don't know they don't look as rounded i think we're gonna be a lot more rounded if we keep going the way we're going right right now right i also think i don't think computers are gonna we're gonna interface with computers the way we interface with them now i think we're in a weird like phase of our evolution if if this is the case where hopefully we get past this point where we're just going completely against our current our actual structure yes yeah well so this this i think is a good time to go into a little bit of theory right yeah Uh, like all right like so okay so in the future so i'm gonna i want to do my past my past theory but let's just talk about the future since we're there okay All all right so so I like the alien one, right? But one, I think one thing we're we're forgetting is that is the gene. What about like gene splicing, just like in, in general? Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think that's going to be that's a huge part of like uh, the next part of our evolution. So yeah. from from now on, we are we are not evolving naturally almost. 
Uh, yeah. So, so we have the choice now to kind of control our evolution. And that's why like in Jurassic Park and all these like different movies, they always warn you like how crazy it is to mess with evolution because because we are messing with the natural order of things. And as soon as we start stepping into natural evolution, now it's still evolution, right? Because, because whatever we're doing, we're evolving. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not evolution, but it's yeah, not what's natural, natural basically. Right. Yeah. When you start arguing about what's natural. I mean, so in 300,000 years, we've been homo sapiens. So, right. And only in the past, what, 150 years, we've had advanced technology. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so over in the past 150 years, we're already seeing this C-shape kind of come back yeah. in, in a lot of us. And that's just from us changing our environment and adapting a little bit. So how how fast and, and where are we in this in this evolution? Um, I I think is the biggest question and what do what we do like so personal trainers or people who are doing these genes are we all messing with natural evolution Um, because so this is this is my question is like what we do a lot we're like okay well this is what we did uh, you know uh, for evolution so we're going to like let's just take the hanging right Mm -hmm. so we're going to hang because that is what uh, a couple that supports our structure supports our structure. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so w- we know from hanging that hanging does awesome things like, cause we hang all the time. Right. right. And right. we don't, we don't know why, but it's just this little thing in our, in our evolution somewhere that we know that we can hang, even though it's not doing anything. It's not, we're not evolving anymore. So when we hang now, are we just going backwards? You in know? a way, in a way, I, I don't know. Backwards sounds so negative. I, I feel like um, you have to, um, you have to take the perspective that you're not, obviously this is kind of obvious, but it, it helps to say you're not evolving right now as a human being, like right now, right now, you know, you're, you're, you're a, you're a, barely a needle in the haystack of human evolution but like you're you're still a needle you know like that haystack wouldn't have you're like 0.1 percent point one point zero one with 7.8 billion people you know right and you're in 7.8 billion there you go basically but in terms of what you're doing for your health. I don't really think of it as going backwards. I think of it as just taking care of the machine, the human machine that you have right yeah. now. So you know? that that gave me this question, right? Like, so we're taking care of ourselves. So when we're thinking about this, are we, are we choosing these exercises for pain um, mm-hmm. like, like, so, so we're hanging to help our shoulders because we know an evolution that's, that's part of our evolution. That'll help us. Now, are we doing that? I like what I wanted to talk about today is pain and, okay. and, and, and is the musculoskeletal structure when it evolves, are we evolving for pain or anything like that? Um, because I had this question mm-hmm. when, okay. Let's let's just stay stay with shoulders, okay? I was gonna go to back because like eighty percent of people have back pain, right? Or and like have serious problems with their back. But let's right. go. Let's let's stay with the shoulders. 
the let's just talk about how you actually evolve from before hanging to hanging right okay. uh, and let's and and i want to do this in the sense of pain so okay. you think that these apes you know eight million years ago or whatever do you think that they were that their bodies were not in pain like mm-hmm. like like i don't think anyone ever talks about that um I wonder if it, I think it would have been more acute pain. So like more, more situation based pain than I would say chronic pain. Well, nowadays we have a lot of chronic pain. And, well, and Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say like, do you know anyone who has like no pains? Like, uh, and so like that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was like, you know, everyone says, give me the cure to my back or yeah. give me the cure to my shoulder. And then I was thinking about how we actually evolved our shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. So we went from like hunched over and right. then, and then after say 500,000 years, uh, all of a sudden we got like one extra muscle in the back, right. That kind of pulled yeah. us up. Or like the bone or the bone just shifted a little bit more upright, you know, this so is- that way we could get up the tree more. And then a hundred thousand years later, you had another one of those muscles and then yeah. another one of those muscles. And then right. now, now what the shoulder has like, like what, 20 muscles or something like that in it. And, right. and so my, my thought was our bodies are basically piecemealed together. Like mm-hmm. ev- evolution is just like, we're, we're trying, they're throwing stuff at our bodies to get us back to some sort of homeostasis. Right. But I don't think that I think that homeostasis of like everyone is just like you feel 100 percent good all the time. That has never existed because we've always been evolving. I know you just said we're only evolving like point zero zero one percent, but yeah. we're still we're always fighting. Evolution. But it's still happening. Yeah, right, right. It's still so, happening because we're still I, just overall everything's evolving all the time. If, right. if you want to look at it that way. And and everything is trying to survive, right? And in order to survive, you need to be able be able to adapt to changes in your environment. And those changes in the environment happen over generations, periods of time. You know, most of the time. Every once in a while, you get some catastrophic changes, for example, right? But most of the time, they happen over long periods of time. And so... We would be that, in a catastrophic change right now, right? What's that? We're in a catastrophic change right now. If- you could say that. You could say that. There's a lot of uh, reasons why you could say that. You could say like climate change, for example. You could say, oh gosh, you could say the um, the current amount of species biodiversity, for example, right now, which could be related to climate change, for example. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons you could say we're in a in a large time of change right now, but you could also point to other times in Earth's history and point to some even way larger changes, you know? Right, right. The Ice Age, for example, and, and things of that nature. Although I think this is technically, I could be so super wrong on this, but I think this is technically considered an Ice Age <laughs> right now because we we still have like the poles mostly frozen and we have a good um there's a certain amount of permafrost i think that's con- that scholars would consider an ice age probably depends on who's saying it basically. yeah 
I'm right. not going to comment on that. I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when the dinosaurs were around, the continents were connected more right. 65 million years ago, and we didn't have uh, as much ice at the poles, right. for example. And that made it so that animals could be a lot larger, for example. Uh, and that's a whole bunch of fun fun little things to talk about but point being yes we're still evolving and that i would think yeah you change is painful right and people animals i don't think are enjoy change you know enjoy adaptation like adaptation requires energy more energy than your daily routine would call for right i wanted to make that point you know of uh, that was like the point i wanted to make is just you know pain i think is just something that like we don't want to be a hundred percent just pain free all the time i think pain is part of life like yeah, I, pain is relative too. like how much pain right right right, right. no exactly it, it might not be a ton of pain but is that pain in evolution also a big part of why we're why we evolved uh, right. and, and it's like it's the signal telling you to not do this or to do that. Right. Um, and so so expect with 80 percent of the world having back pain uh, and having serious issues, you know, with like with your back. Like, uh, I just think that pain is something that people need to just kind of accept as part of life, but also fight, but also like like do everything you can to to figure it out, uh, yeah. because, because that's that. that for me, how we've evolved right now is is our choices and how we make how uh, it's it's more of a, a mental thing than the physical thing. I know we're talking so much about like it's our musculoskeletal system we're talking about today, but uh, I think that our biggest advancements obviously are in our brain and and how we make our choices and right. and that is is evolution too. And so evolving our brain. And and being able to create like ways to change our genes and and ways to just go out and run and and physically train ourselves to be better people. I mean, these are parts of evolution, and and we need to fight. We need to see how we were in the past, mm-hmm. uh, but also figure out where we're going in the future and make sure our workouts and our lives uh, really really um, embody that idea. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's the yin, yin and yang of it, right? And when and when you're when you're experiencing pain, I think I think any kind of challenge, you know, is going to be quote unquote painful. I almost want to find a different word for pain, you know, because at a low level, it's more like a challenge mm-hmm. in my mind than it is addressing pain. But there is a reason why we feel pain. There's a reason why animals just in general feel pain. And and that reason is to get your attention so that you make a change or you adapt to where that pain is coming from. Like pain is a negative response from the body, technically speaking. Right. I like you changing it to challenge. Right. I, I think of it, especially like those smaller pains, you know, like not like life threatening pains, right. for example, you know. Like you didn't just get stabbed from a knife. Right. right. And 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 that's like the more life the more life threatening is, the you would expect it to be the more painful, you know, in terms of a in terms of a blunt type of injury, you know, we're not talking about like chronic 
terms of acute injury, like we were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Not like chronic injury where those kind of things sneak up on people. Right. But the problem is we're getting a lot more chronic and a lot less acute pain nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that chronic pain when it comes to body pain and joint pain and back pain and shoulder pain and hip pain and foot pain is because we're not paying attention to that other side of the coin. We're just looking into the future, you know, and we're not paying attention to the past as much as we need to. And when we pay, and you don't need to pay attention a lot. You just, there's a couple things that are really obvious, at least, at least from my point of view, when you, when you look at it uh, just a little bit deeper, you know? So I want to go, I want to go back into the, the, the walking part because And I'm going to use this as an example for the other parts. And the reason is because we have that big gluteus muscle and we don't use it, you know, nowadays right? in in modern history. And let's just call modern history like the last 130 years, you know, where we've made a lot of our technical developments Mm -hmm. and people's activity levels have changed dramatically, right? Right. So why is that why is that important though? What's why does it matter, you know, that we're not using a part of our body that is a large part of our evolutionary history. Okay? So just think, I love I love this example and I use this example a lot. Think of an elephant, okay? Large animal, right? And it's a mammal. So it's it's in the similar family as us evolutionarily speaking okay elephants have gluteus muscles Mm -hmm. okay in relation to their size who do you think has a bigger glute muscle elephants or humans elephants right (laughs) yeah most people say elephants you're probably just faking it (laughs) but it's humans okay we have the biggest gluteus maximus Hence gluteus maximus. Then any other any other animal when you compare it when you put it in relation to our size. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Because we evolved to walk upright in the way we do with our our front facing knees. Mm-hmm. Basically, the only other animals that walk upright as much as us are th- are um like ostriches, for example. Uh, flightless birds Mm -hmm. you know can you can you think of any other animals that walk upright like us uh just sasquatch uh bigfoot right exactly yeah (laughs) yeah okay so that's that's a big difference right in terms of what makes us different from other animals and because that's such a big difference a lot of your structure relies on you using that you know, it's not just it's not just if you don't use it, the rest of you is going to be fine. Like everything works together in your body to maintain itself. And so if you're sitting on your ass, OK, you're telling your body that we don't care about the signals coming. Don't pay attention to those signals coming. Mm-hmm. So if you have pain there, you're not going to notice it as soon. If you have discomfort there, you're not going to notice it as soon. But like if you try and get a kid who's really active to sit down for a long time, they will notice it right away. They may not be able to express it in words very well, 
but they'll notice it and you'll notice it in their behavior. Because that'll be but as time, right. And you get those wiggles and you actually see a extremely high rate of injury once kids start going into school, into primary school, and start sitting at a desk longer. Really? Well, that yeah. makes complete sense. It makes complete sense, right? Okay. There's, there's nonprofits that I really like that are all about helping this and getting kids more ergonomic desks or getting kids a uh, stand-up desk where they can do little swivels with their feet or little fidgets with their feet mm. and getting people to kids to stand up more, getting schools to implement like a um, a movement break more often for kids. And it's been shown to help their focus. It's been shown to reduce injury rates. And it's been shown to increase athleticism in school sports. Like there's a lot of really cool data just focusing on the fact that they're sitting on the muscle group that is the most identifiable to human beings. Right. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's a pretty big impact, right? When you focus on that, right? And just think about the long-term ramifications for those kids, you know, where they don't get that atrophy in those glute muscles as soon right. in their as early in their lives, in the formative years of their lives, when, they're, when their body is still growing, right? Think how much different i i can't wait to see like the long-term studies if they do anything on those kids later you yeah, know that'd be super interesting right right wouldn't it what about the really long-term studies what do you mean oh you mean like when they're like 80 or something like that or like like multiple generations down the road do you oh, think gosh. do you think that are in the future we're going to go down to kind of maybe multiple species of of humans so we're homo sapiens now but there's been other species. Well, we know that there's been other species. And I don't know if you've seen, there's a, a doc, cool documentary on Netflix that they just found another species that was only dated like 150,000 years ago or something like that. So another it's human hominid species, human like species. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is pretty interesting. But anyway, um, th- that's what I, so that that's, I think everything I was saying about that one, but yep. All right, go ahead. Okay, real quick, just to check. Do you got a little bit uh, more time? I got like 20 more minutes if you do. Uh, yes, I do. Okay, sweet. Okay, so think about that. Think about what I just said about the kids, for example. And think about, um, I guess we're going into like science fiction territory a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I feel like we'd have to be like a multi-planetary species to see multiple t- types of humans evolve over a long period of time. You know, are you watching that Isaac Asimov Foundation series at all? Have you heard well, about that? No, I'm not. But well, how how could it be on multiple planets? Because just think like of what we're talking about. The people who sit are the people who are changing or who are evolving. So like that's not going to last. It's not going to, this is my optimism. I don't think this, the whole sitting thing is going to last. Honestly. Yeah. I don't think it's going to, I don't think, I don't think it can last. Honestly. I'm, I'm very, I'm very skeptic of it, of it lasting long enough to actually shape us. Thankfully, thankfully, but because of the rate of technology change right now, Right. And technology change continues the way it does. I think this is just going to be a phase. But as, as humans though, we, we tend to throw band-aids on it instead of taking away the problem. We could just take away chairs right now 
And and we know that that would fix like a ton of stuff. Well, yeah. Okay. So this is a good example of like short-term interventions and long-term interventions, for example. So that would be a very short-term intervention and pulling off the Band-Aid, you know? Yeah. And And the problem with that is we don't have useful options to replace it with, you know? So like when we talk about addiction counseling and whatnot, right? right. And addicted behaviors. And right now people are addicted to sitting. I'm addicted to sitting. Yeah, sure. You can't just change the world like that. No, it just doesn't. It doesn't happen. You need multiple generations to change something like that. And multiple generations on the evolutionary scale still still isn't that much. Right. You know, you need you need not multiple. You need like hundreds or thousands of generations, (laughs) you know. And and I'm just trying to think of I have one friend. I had one friend who like try who was trying to combat this. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you think as a society, all my other friends thought about this friend thought he was crazy because he didn't have any furniture in his house because he wanted to stand up. But what we need is everyone to be like that over multiple generations. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen until we have a better option for sitting. And yeah. Okay. That may, no, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think we need a better option for sitting. And I mean, then I'd go deep into the sci-fi world. But I do think about these things because I love sci-fi, honestly. I've been a big sci-fi fan ever since I was a little kid, honestly. So I've been thinking, I have been thinking about that. I could I could go deep in that, but I'm going to try not <laughs> for the sake of time, honestly. But I would love to talk to you about like Isaac Asimov and Foundation, for example, because that, that looks at... Um, the hu- human beings far into the future and then it goes even farther into like tens of thousands of years farther into the future basically once the storyline starts it's crazy oh i would love to listen to that because i've done some thinking on some of that kind of stuff uh so wh- where is it where can you listen to that or watch it? isaac asimov yeah. so isaac asimov is like gosh he's he's one of like the seminal science fiction writers of our time i would say right. he 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 was pretty early in that field, like pretty much when sci-fi was really bumping. I, I want to say 1950s. So it was 1951. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So after World War II and after the after all that was happening, and we started to see people looking to the future more, then you started to see these science fiction writings come out more. Mm-hmm. And these science fiction writers come out more and and we have this perspective of like, we're going to, we're going to the moon, you know, right. what are we going to do after we go to the moon? Because, you know, like, what's the next step after that? And what's after that? What's after that? And people started thinking about that. Right. Yeah. And so Asimov went deep, 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 deep. <laughs> I would love to hear that. Does he say anything about the musculoskeletal system or, or. Well, he talks a little, he, there's uh, times when they'll go to different planets and stuff like that, that humans have been on for a long time. And then they'll, they'll fast forward into the future later in, in other books. And then they'll look at those planets and see how the humans have changed and adapted to their environment yeah. and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, the Dune series? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the movies. Okay. You've seen the movie. So you know how there's hu- human uh, species on that desert planet yeah. and how they evolve and adapt to that desert planet. Yes. For example, right? And how they how they take uh in Dune, I don't think this is a big spoiler. They um the people on the desert planet have co-evolved with a with a worm species, like a, a sandworm species that produces uh some kind of drug 
uh, thing they call spice. And that changes their molecular structure. And then over, over multiple generations of having children, you know, and, and that changes how they adapt to their environment and stuff like that. That's crazy. If you have one prediction for the future mm-hmm. and it has to relate to like just humans or, or like, you know, our lives, what would be your big prediction? Okay, Anything. How, far, like, how far in the future? Uh, how, anything like it, like, let's just play, uh, I, you can play, play around with it. Like any, any, anything in the future, uh, okay. semi-confidently say being able to semi-confidently say versus like just throwing ra- random shit that I think would be interesting out. If I, well, if I was to say something, you... go ahead. What were you saying? I was just going to say, let me, I'll throw out my example real quick. Okay. okay. Um, and, and then, uh, so to give you a little bit of idea, kind of what I was thinking about. All mm-hmm. right. All right. So like in the future, right. So right now as people, uh, we are information is, is so readily available now compared to 50 years ago. Right. And I think 50 years, a hundred years, a couple hundred years from now, it's going to be even more readily available. Yeah. So I have this theory that facts are are going to be something kind of of the past. Like facts aren't going to be something you need to know. So so okay. right na- right now you go to school and you learn all this information, like fact type information. Okay. Um. And so I think one of the big shifts that's going to happen is that, and it kind of already is. Yeah, uh, but but I want to give this another couple hundred years for it to be a, a whole like hu- like a whole world shift okay. is that we are going to go to school uh, to learn our social IQs and emotional IQs mm-hmm. and not go to school to learn our intellectual like like our like our intellectual quotient um, like like so we're, so we're gonna we're gonna work on the hardware more and less on the software. I think so because because yeah. it, because I think one change is going to be uh, I don't I'm not sure if something like Neuralink is going to happen where you can just like like in the Matrix where you can just download information mm-hmm. but but even if we don't have that we already have these phones uh, we have ChatGPT just came out uh, mm-hmm. information is just going to be so readily available that we don't need to know like every president or, or all, all the, all, all a bunch of things, we're just going to need to be able to access it. And so, okay. so that's like a, a 500 year prediction is that we're going to be work more on our social and mental health is like going to be school over, okay. over that. Yeah. I think, I think it's good to take an optimistic approach because it's easy to take a pessimistic approach, honestly, you know, like there's a lot of really different ways you could go dystopian with our future. Right. So barring, barring catastrophe, I guess yeah. you, you would want to say, right? So barring catastrophe, we're going to basically merge with technology enough to where we don't try and actively learn facts. We more, we still are learning, I would say, but we learn in a much more information accessible way where it's just available for us when we ask for it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. I think, I think that's, yeah, we're seeing notes of that right now. I think when AR really gets sophisticated is when that's really going to start. And and we're getting little pieces of that right now. Have you seen the Apple's VR, AR, VR headset, mixed reality? Yes. Headset? 
Yeah. Have you seen the demos with that and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks cool. I think it's a little bit ahead of its time right now. And a lot of people are saying that, but you know how people say that about technology and then all of a sudden it takes off. Yeah. So we could be just being skeptic because we don't understand every part of that picture. Right. So yeah, I could see that happening. I, I, that's actually part of, part of what I've, what I'm thinking a couple hundred years in the future. I think, I don't think of it in terms of uh, like factual, like what is fact? I think people are still going to use the word fact, you know, because they have opinions and biases and they want to support them with, with quote unquote facts, you know, but yeah. it's just going to be the, the facts fed to us versus the facts um, we've, we've gleaned on our own. Like we're, I hope, I hope we still have a lot of like citizen scientists, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause that I think is a large part of that equation that helps keep it balanced, you know, and maybe, maybe in order to keep it balanced, you, we will get people to, we will foster this citizen scientist type of mindset, you know, where, okay, this is the information we currently have available to us. Right. And now because we're in an environment where we can do experiments more safely and you have the right information and you, you could have like, I could have Neil deGrasse Tyson standing right next to me, for example. And when I'm looking into like an astrophysics uh, theory that I want to test, you know, and he could be like, well, don't put that neutron there. Cause then you're going to make an atomic bomb and that would be bad. For example, that's like two years away. <laughs> kind of, but I mean, like, you still got to be able to acquire the goods and the pieces and everything like that to to make things happen. Whereas nowadays, you still got to pay for stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's not like Star Trek. You just you can just literally say that, and it would happen. Right, right. Like you could go to the machine. I forget what the machine is called in Star Trek, where it just creates the thing in the box there. Whatever you ask it to create, it just creates yeah. it. You're right? more and <laughs> Yeah, and then you can go into like this this uh, bomb-proof hologram room and do your experiments and then leave, for example. Yeah. 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 Actually, Star Trek is a good good example. Yeah. Right? I, th- I think they had a good prediction of the future. Yeah, they had like iPads and tablets and Star Trek and smart computers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's an optimistic viewpoint of the future. I really like that. I'm I'm really just waiting until robots arrive because I'm I'm such a big Isaac Asimov fan. Yeah, honestly, I'm waiting. I'm I'm, I'm hoping for two big things in the future. I'm hoping for uh, energy distribution to the masses. You know. I don't know if you could give unlimited energy to the masses because then everybody, because then without the right amount of maturity, I think, yeah, people can just make atomic bombs by mistake. Right. Kind of thing, you know? Right. But like energy enough to the masses where we don't have to worry about typical energy issues we have now. That would, that would, that's like one of my big things in the future. You know, because that will free up a lot of time and effort for people where they can direct their time elsewhere. Yeah. Right. And and you don't your needs are a lot lower. Like imagine if you didn't have to pay for gas for your car, didn't have to pay for electricity for your house, you know, 
you could you could you're saying energy like just energy period like so like gas for your car or ga- or probably electric for your car right yeah 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 then you could think of it just as electric energy but yeah i think of it more as electric energy yeah mm. the ability to harness electric energy and the ability to distribute that electric energy to the masses to a point where energy kind of becomes like water is in the u.s nowadays like you have tap water you know and it's almost it's practically free your tap water you know you pay a water bill but like in terms of the total amount of gallons of water you use yeah right well you have this that's the same thing with power company yeah kind of kind of kind of but like the car is probably the biggest thing but I, I can't turn up my power, you know, I can't sit here and like turn up my power. And then there's also mil- like billions of people who don't have power in the world. Yeah, and the and the energy bill is still, I mean, our electric bill can get big when we got our air conditioning running in the summer and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. Enough to make a chunk into our, like we have to plan around it, you know? It's, it's expensive. Definitely. Yeah. And then if you combine that with your, with your gas bill, for example, mm-hmm. and like how much does it cost if you want to get on a plane somewhere right now? Right, right. That's energy related, right? Now, so if there was unlimited, I know we only have a couple minutes. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If there was unlimited energy, though, how would people's musculoskeletal systems change? That's what I wonder. And like time. robots, for example, too, right? So, like, if we stay in our current trend right now of loving sitting and whatnot, I think we're going to go into like Wally world. Yeah. Basically. You ever see the Wally movie? Oh, yeah. Wally, I love it. <laughs> yeah, where they sit on their little hover chairs and just go all over the place. Yeah, that's yeah. that's probably the most dystopian, I would say. My hope is that as as time goes on, energy becomes less expensive, people are a uh information becomes more accessible and people are able to pursue the things that they want to pursue more. And in doing so, it really just depends on how long that takes. Like if it takes a long time to get there, yeah, we're going to turn into like C-shaped Wally people. If it doesn't take a long time to get there, which current current technology technology innovation, like with Moore's law, the way it is right now, we're going to have the opposite problem. Basically, we're going to have the problem of a lot of different accessible resources and not enough people, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, that'll be interesting. I don't know that we have to really think about it. Yeah. But I think, um, I think optimistically we'll be able to pursue the things we want to pursue more. And if we haven't gotten into this phase of sitting for so long, then we're going to actually want to look at our evolutionary history and we're going to want to learn about ourselves more. And we're going to, you're seeing people want to learn about themselves themselves more whenever a society actually gets to a certain point of comfort, right? Do you think that the human race needs an epiphany? Yeah. Just how like a just how like an, an individual human oftentimes needs like a, an epiphany to make a big change in their life. Yeah. Like the human race needs an epiphany. Yeah. And I think the, I also think the human race goes through cycles, honestly. I think um, I go. I think we go through generational cycles. We talked about this before. We haven't talked about it on the podcast, though. Oh, but yeah. I think I think we go through cycles uh, in terms of our culture, and I mean that's why we have different ages that we that we look at different times in humanity. Like this is considered the information age now, according to a lot of historians, right? Right. The information age really only started in like the eighties. You could maybe say right. Yeah. When, when personal computers started coming on. 
right? Yeah. So up until then, it was mostly the industrial age, right? And then, and then the agricultural revolution prior to that, for example. But but those but those ages and times are getting shorter and shorter and shorter, <laughs> and shorter basically. And so the information age is is going to be ridiculous in terms of what it come i don't know what the hell come nobody knows what will come next you know nobody knew in the industrial age the information age would follow it right Right. nobody knew the agricultural age the industrial age would follow it right 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 so who knows what the hell is coming next (laughs) (laughs) it seems like it's coming faster than the previous ages have have come right yeah so big point there is because everything's moving so fast take care of yourself (laughs) <laughs> and to take care of yourself you want to look to the past a little bit because even though things are changing really fast your structure is not and basically you are a human being uh, of the of the homo sapien species and you're bipedal and you have a hanging like clavicle structure a climbing at least clavicle structure and a throwing clavicle we didn't even talk about throwing i know oh my goodness so we all need to walk and we need to hang and we need to throw and that's what we need to do. That's what we're learning today, right? Or or and do things that support that, you know? Like if you can't do those things well, um do things that support that. So right now, for example, your walking pattern that we were talking about at the beginning, right? Is a little off. And right. that's the indicator to you that okay, what kind of patterns do I need to get into to support that? Right? And then you can work backwards from it. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast, basically, today. It's just just understanding. I'm just trying to give people an understanding and a little bit of, uh, I guess, depth to why we have the recommendations we have and how you can pay attention to that. And then once you start paying attention to that, it's you can look into, okay, how do I get myself to a point where... I'm a functioning human being, you know, in terms of what my skeletal system is requires, you know, on this planet with this amount of gravity. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. I love the sci-fi though. Yeah. I didn't think we were in sci-fi today. <laughs> I love it. All right. Sounds good, Mike. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you later, man. Here's it.